Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io, which I co-founded after being in SaaS for nearly a decade. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you can trust your software as a service or mobile app to us, We'll give you the first 30 days, no risk, and we guarantee you being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.io, where we can spec out your project today. Today, I'm excited to have author and brand positioning expert, April Dunford. She's been preaching about the importance of positioning your product for 20 years, and literally, she seems to be the only one that understands how important it is for the success of your product. Today, we'll talk to April about how your SaaS product can stand out in an overcrowded and competitive market. How are you today, April? I'm good, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. Um, Why don't you quickly tell us uh, a bit about yourself, who your customer is, and what particular problem you're solving for them? Sure. So my background is I spent 25 years as a repeat vice president of marketing at a series of tech startups. And three, four years ago, I decided to make the transition to consulting for something new. And uh, my focus area is positioning. And very specifically, I work with startups between like half a million to say 30, 40 million revenue for the most part. Um, I only do B2B and I just focus on positioning work. So really helping companies get really honed in on who's our competition, how are we different, what's our value, who's our ideal customer, and what exactly is the market that we intend to win. Okay. Okay. That's, that's great. Um, so, so tell me, um, how you got into this, like take me a bit about what makes you an expert in this and what uh, you sort of your background and, um, uh, how you, how you sort of uncovered this particular problem and, and how long, you know, how you, what makes you feel like you know it so well. Well, so my first job at a startup, uh, when I was just junior, we did a repositioning of a product and, I learned two things from that. One was that, you know, you can have a product that's actually amazing, like a product that that particular product went on to be a billion dollar business, Um, but it looked like a failure at the beginning because we were not positioning it correctly in the market. So we eventually did a repositioning, which was hard, (laughs) but when we did figure it out, the product went on to be very successful. So what I took from that was positioning super important, positioning can kill something that actually is a great product, um, but it's also kind of tricky to do. So after that, uh, that company ended up being acquired and I ended up running marketing at the bigger company and we had a handful of products in there and we repositioned most of them at some point. 
And I got really frustrated with the fact that there was no known methodology to actually go and do positioning. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's positioning is this kind of old established marketing concept. Yet every marketer I talked to seemed to be kind of faking their way through it. Everybody was doing a little bit of a different thing. We were all kind of making it up as we went along. Mm-hmm. So I eventually built my own methodology that I started using internally just because positioning was a thing we're going to do. We might as well have a way to do it. Uh, And then later on, I started teaching a class on positioning at a local university. Then I started teaching uh, startups how to do it at local accelerators. And then I did accelerators further afield. um, And now I do it as a consultant. Okay, so so tell me um, tell me a bit about how you first repositioned that first product. Do you mind telling us um, what that product? Yeah, was? no, it's a great it's a great story actually. So this original product, so the company that I joined was famous for compilers. This is going back like twenty years. So okay. uh, they had a C compiler, and that was their big hit product. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem was, is Microsoft was moving into the market, and so th- th- there was this worry that that market was eventually going to shrink and Microsoft was going to own it. So we needed to find other products to sell. So we came up with this idea for a product which was originally conceived as desktop productivity software. It was going to be competitive to Excel or Microsoft Access. And what it was was a like a little database that ran SQL. And at the time, all the SQL databases were big things like Oracle you had to install them on great big servers and you needed an admin to even get the thing up and running. Um, and they needed tons and tons of memory and disk space. This thing was a little lightweight thing that you could mm-hmm. install on a PC with a couple of clicks, uh, but you could do stuff, data stuff with it. Like an SQL database, you could write structured query uh, queries mm-hmm. on so it's it. Like access and or so, something. Yeah. So it was like access with SQL. So we, okay. we envisioned this thing as like, well, everybody that wants to manipulate data would want to do that. Right. On their yeah. PC. Right. So yeah. we launched the thing. It was um, single user standalone product. You could order it off our website and it costs like a hundred bucks. And we sold a couple hundred copies of it, but it was kind of a flop. Like, Uh you know, we were a 50, 60 person company. We needed to be selling thousands of these things. Yeah, yeah. And this wasn't working. So um, I was new and junior and I got given the job by my boss who said, look, what you got to do is they gave me the list of customers and they said, we need you to make a hundred customer calls and not dials, we're talking conversations. We want you to yeah. talk to 100 customers, find out what they're doing with the database, and then find out how mad they're going to be when we tell them we're going to end of life it. Yeah, so, okay. so I did nothing for a month except call these customers. Yeah. And the hilarious these thing are your was... Current, your, your current customers. These are the ones that were using it and, and were, that loved it. Well, we had 200 customers. We didn't know whether they were using it or whether or not they loved it. That was the whole point of the call. (laughs) So they wanted me to talk to 100 of them and find out what was going on. So I call and call and call. It's very hard to get these people on the phone. I do this for a month. I uh, the first 20 people I managed to get on the phone uh, didn't even remember buying the product. So oh, I no. called and said, hi, I'm calling from Whatcom. I, you bought, uh, well, what are you doing with our database thing? And they're like, uh, what's it called? What, 
No, I don't own that. Do I actually yeah. own that? No, I don't. And we're like, yeah, yeah. Like I'm pulling out my spreadsheet. Yeah, actually, uh, it says right here you bought it on the 29th of January. And they're like, oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah. No, we messed around with it a little bit, didn't use it. So I got 20 in a row like that. Uh-huh. So I'm like, okay, you know, this is looking like nobody really cares. We could end up life this thing. No one's even using it, let alone loving it. But then what happened was I had number 21. So mm-hmm. number 21, I get on the phone. He goes, oh, my God, I love that thing. I love it. This is the greatest product I've ever had. Really? I cannot believe okay. you guys are genius. This is so great. Uh-huh. And I'm like, really? Well, what are you doing with it? And he says, well, we got all these sales reps. And you got a picture. This was 20 years ago, the early days of giving laptops to sales reps. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I got all these sales reps going out and making customer calls. And they got these laptops, but they can't take an order because our order system is this big Oracle database at headquarters. So what they do is they go out but I and, and take the orders on paper and then they come back and they have to put it in the order system. Well, with your thing, because it's SQL under there, I just wrote a little order taking thing that sits on their laptop. They take the order, they come back to the office and it syncs up with the Oracle database, saves us all kinds of time. They don't make any mistakes. They don't have to go back out multiple times to get the order. It's amazing. It's totally revolutionized our business. All our sales reps got one. It's awesome. And I'm like, Weird, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. not what we, that's not what we thought. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. We're going to do with this thing, but nice talking to you. You know, so I take okay. all the notes. I don't have the heart to tell the guy we're going to kill it. Yeah. And, uh, and I move on with my task. And I do another 10 calls. And, and again, people don't even know they have the product. And then I get another guy, just like this first one. And he mm-hmm. says, oh, yeah, this thing's amazing. I love it. He says, well, I've got field service reps and they're going out to do service calls Mm -hmm. and then they take all these notes and blah, blah, blah. And it used to be they had to take the notes on paper and then come back to the headquarters and sync up. But you guys have an SQL database. So I wrote a little thing and they can go out and do it out in the field. And then they come back, plug into the office and boom, the thing syncs up. And I was like, huh, there's another one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, there's another one. Okay. So I end up making 100 calls. Yeah. And uh, and I've got five or six of these folks. Okay. So I go back to my to the, to the senior team and they're like, so how's it going with the calls? And I'm like, well, good news, bad news. And I don't even know which is the good news and which is the bad news. But, you know, if you want to kill this thing, uh, 90, 96%, 95% of the customer base isn't going to care because they're not even using it, let alone yeah. loving it. Okay. But you got this weird slice that is fanatical yeah. and doing this weird thing that we never imagined, and then I tell everybody what it is. And so the executive team made a decision that maybe we would take a run at selling this thing for the use case that we had uncovered. Yeah. Now, if you think about that, that was a that was a really big decision to make because yeah. we had been selling this thing hundred dollars a pop off the website. If I'm going to go sell it to a sales team and say, "Hey, arm your sales team with this," I've got to sell it. Well, first of all, I'm going to need an actual sales rep to go do that. Yeah. I'm going to sell it not one copy at a time. I'm going to be like. 10 at a time, maybe hundreds at a time, if you've got a big sales team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is, the pricing's going to change everything. It's a completely different business. Yeah. But um, we decided to give it a try. We hired a rep to test it. Um, and the thing was amazingly successful. So we hired some more sales reps. We monkeyed around with the pricing. We 
Um, and the thing just took off. And so it very quickly eclipsed the compiler business. Yeah. And then we ended up getting acquired by a big database company in the Valley at the time called Sybase. Mm-hmm. Um, and at one point, I, you know, I was gone at this point, but at one point I heard that that product line was close to a billion dollars in revenue. Wow. And we had almost killed it. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> because we didn't know what we had. And interestingly, somebody asked me about this, this product a while back, and I went and looked it up. So Sybase eventually got acquired by SAP. But mm-hmm. SAP, if you go on their website today, they mm-hmm. have this product line. It's called iAnywhere Solutions. And so here we are 25 years later, they're still selling that thing like crazy. And, you know, that's some real legs on a product. Yeah, that's inc- that was- especially for software, you know, and, <laughs> right? and, you know, and like database <laughs> a, software, which is... Like what? Like yeah. the thing was wildly successful. And imagine if I had just done... Like imagine if yeah, I had If you just had done stopped at that 20th call, you know, if you'd stopped well, at that 20th call. Or even one, if right? I had just done a survey yeah. and said hey, you using this thing, you like it or not? And just looked at the numbers and said, well, look, 95% of these people don't give a toot about yeah. this product. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, there's a few outliers. If I had paid attention to all the people that didn't love it, as opposed to paying attention to the people that did love it, yeah. I'd have made, a, you know, we'd have made it as a team a very different decision. Yeah. That's, that's very, that's a great story. Um, so, so then. So the key, just to finish it off, the key in this story is we positioned that thing as desktop productivity software, like an access killer. But what it actually was, or what we repositioned it as after, was an embeddable database for mobile devices. That is very, very different positioning with yeah. different competitive comparables, different routes to market, totally different value proposition, totally different market we were going to go in. Yeah, so, so tell me, when you went there then, how did you find those customers? That, so you just, is, uh, you just basically build an avatar for that, those customers uh, and find the commonalities? Or what was the, what was the process to find those Well, so the way I would do this now, because back then that was my first job and my first interaction with that. But now my methodology for doing this is the first thing you have to understand is who loves your stuff and who doesn't. Okay. Because the people that don't love your stuff, honestly, they don't have that much to teach you. Yeah. But if you have customers that really love your stuff and they're good for your business, meaning they really love, they don't just really love your stuff because it's free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they really love your stuff and they pay you good money and you, know, they, they, and you look at them and say, you know what, if I had a pipeline full of folks that looked like that, I would have a darn good business. If you can find those patterns and say, well, the, these are the people that love me and here's why, then I think you've got something to go on. So the starting point in my methodology for positioning is I look at the folks that are a really good fit for what I do, and then I work through this process where I say, look, if they didn't use me, what would they use? Mm -hmm. And so that's my actual real competition. So in the case of that database, I thought my competition was Excel or Access, Mm -hmm. but my competition was completely different. My competition was you know, pen and paper for a field sales rep. 
was yeah, my competition. Yeah. Okay, that's right. <laughs> and so then if you say, well, what have I got that the competition doesn't have? Well, I have a thing that does, that, that the key features of my product were the fact that it was SQL and could sync up to the order system and enabled those folks to get rid of that pen and paper and do things accurately and even do pricing configurations and stuff on a laptop in the field my thing could do that because it was super low footprint. It ran SQL. Um, you know, it could sync up to the Oracle thing back in headquarters, but was easy enough to install and get running on a laptop that you could actually do it. Mm -hmm. And okay. so then you work through, okay, well, what's that's my value. Who are the people I'm going after? Well, I thought I was going after individual developers that wanted to crunch some data. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. in fact, I'm going after people with, um, field sales and service teams that want to be able to do stuff out in the field that right. have a big order system or a service system at headquarters that runs SQL, probably Oracle. Yeah. Okay. And so that's how the positioning shifted. And then it was like, well, then the answer to the question of who are you or what's my market category? Well, I'm not desktop productivity software. I'm an embeddable database for mobile devices. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Now, now, so how has your, um, how has your uh, process changed over the years? And um, I know in the, uh, in the book you give, you give a framework, can, but can you just explain like how you've come up with that framework now and how it's yeah. working for you? Well, so how I started was, you know, at first I didn't think, I figured this must be a pre previously solved problem. Like positioning has been around since the early 80s. So I thought, you know what? Somebody's figured out how to do this, surely. <laughs> and so I went and read all the books and I took a bunch of marketing classes. And um, there's, a, there's a really good book called Positioning the Battle for Your Mind by these guys, Reason Trout. And yeah. it, it, that was the, it's still the book. If you go take, take a marketing class and learn positioning, they'll bring that book out. And this book describes really well what positioning is and why it's important and and you know what you can do with a shift in positioning what it doesn't do is tell you how to do it yeah so which is pretty important right yeah well these guys ran a marketing agency and so you were supposed to call them and they were going to uh, do it okay. for you yeah, so yeah. that was their big secret they were yeah tell you. yeah so, um, so I read that book and I was like, okay, I get what positioning is. I still don't have a clue how to do it. So yeah. I took a bunch of classes and I eventually took a course at a university and we had a module on positioning mm -hmm. and that guy put up the positioning statement. Now, a lot of people learn this. If you go to marketing school, a lot of people think this is how you quote unquote do positioning. Um, it, but it's it's not a methodology either. Like what it is is kind of a Mad Libs fill in the blanks statement. Like our product is a blank that does blank uh, as opposed to blank. And you fill in things like this is my market category. This is my ideal customer. Here's my competitor. Here's why I'm better. Yeah. But, you know, I learned that and I was like, okay, but – what about my database thing? Like it just has a blank that says market category, but how do I know like whether it's personal productivity software or embeddable database for mobile devices, like which market category goes in there and how do yeah, I know? That's true. That's true. Cause if you don't know that, you would, yeah, you don't know how to answer that question. 
Right. So, you know, so the first time I got it at university, I put my hand up and I asked the professor, I'm like, hey, like you got a blank there that says market category. But as far as I can tell, most products could be positioned in multiple different market categories. So how do I know which is the best one? And the professor did this thing where he said, he said, you know, who said that? And I'm at the back, right? I'm like, me, me, I said it, you know? And so I explained this whole situation of this first product. And I said, how do you know? Like you have a blank that just says market category. How do you know? And the professor looked down at me and he says, trust me, April, you'll just know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is is not the case. So at that moment, I decided, you know what? No one knows. No one knows. This is actually not a solved problem. So, so me, yeah, at this point, I had repositioned a couple things and I thought, well, you know what? I could figure this out. Yeah. I'll figure this out. So I thought I would approach it. Um, I have a degree in engineering. So I thought I would approach it like an engineering problem. So I would start by breaking it down into component pieces, figure mm-hmm. out the best answer for each of the pieces, smash it together, and then voila, there you go. Good positioning. Okay. So, uh, the component pieces, it's not that hard to figure out. They're essentially the blanks in the positioning statement. And so there's five of them. So it's market category, competitive alternatives, um, unique features or capabilities, the value that your product can deliver for customers, and then your customer segmentation. Like who is the customer that you're going after? Those are mm. the five. Yeah. So I figured, okay, these are the five things. All I got to do is figure out how do I get to the best answer for each of those and then and then that that'll give me good positioning but the first thing you realize when you head down that path is um, each of the components has a relationship to the other so if I take something like value the unique value that my product can deliver is entirely dependent on my unique features mm-hmm. but yeah my unique features are only unique when compared to a competitive alternative. So these things are all related. The customer, the best fit customer for my product is actually the customer who cares a lot about the value I can deliver. So those two things are super linked. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, I've got market category. And you can think of it this way, like the best market category for my product is the context that makes the value that your product delivers obvious to the people that you're trying to communicate to. So that's how I get market category, but I need those other two first in order to figure that out. So then I got stuck in this mode where, well, gee, if everything depends on everything else, where do I start and how do I figure this out? And um, what happened is it's a long story, but I ended up going way down a rat hole, reading about jobs to be done and reading Clayton Christensen and all that work. And eventually Mm -hmm. where I got to was um, you actually have to start with competitive alternatives. Once you understand what the true competitive alternatives are in the minds of your best fit customers. So if I look at my customers, again, if I use my database as an example, Mm -hmm. um, I don't care what the competitive alternatives are for all the people that didn't like my stuff. <laughs> for, the, yeah. for the people who did like my stuff, if they didn't use my thing, what would they be doing is a critical question to answer. And once yeah. I understand that, then I can say, okay, well, what have I got that the alternative doesn't have? In this case, it's pen and paper. 
Mm-hmm. So what can I do that the alternative doesn't do? What's the value? And then once I've got those features, I can take those features and map it to value for my uh, for value for customers. And then once I've got value, then I can say, what are the characteristics of a customer that makes them really care a lot about my value? And then, then that's how I'm going to get customers. And then I can say, okay, I'm trying to describe this value for these people. What's my market category? So if I do that, so, so let's just walk through it for this database example. So okay. I've got my five, six people that love my thing. Mm-hmm. And I say, look, what would you do if we didn't exist? And the, and the guy would say, well, my reps would have to go out with a pen and paper, write yeah. this stuff down, come back in, enter it in. Sometimes they make mistakes. Sometimes they don't get the complete order and they got to go back to the rep again and come back and do it again. And so it takes a long time for the company to get the order. And sometimes they don't get the order that they want it. So that's my competitive comparable. It's pen and paper, manual process. So what do I have that they don't? Well, I have a thing that one can can get installed on a laptop because that's the only way they're going to be able to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's never makes a mistake. It allows the rep to take the order with the person right there and verify it. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows them to configure pricing and everything else right there in the field. And then it'll sync up with my order database so that it gets put in quickly, accurately. Customer gets what they want faster. That's all my value. So then I say, mm-hmm. well, who cares a lot about that value? Well, it's people with field teams that need to do stuff that also have like a central system at headquarters run an SQL database that mm-hmm. need to do that sync. Okay, okay. Well, if what I'm trying to do, if the value is being able to enable reps by putting a, something on a mobile device out in the field uh, and then sync back to headquarters, you know, what, and I'm trying to communicate that to people that have field sales teams that are trying to do stuff. So what am I? Well, I'm an embeddable database for mobile devices. That's what I am. Okay. So, so what do you, what do you, what happens in a situation where um, you're in a, do you ever encounter like startups where, where they don't have enough customer data and how do you resolve that or yeah. what, how do you resolve positioning before you've even created the product and you're sort of thinking about going to market? What's the, what's yeah. the, the premise there? So well, the way that works is, is it works like this. So before you create the product, if you're doing your job right, you're, you've got a positioning thesis, okay. which is, you know, I, I, nothing you out know, here I think this is whatever. the, this is, yeah, I think this is my competition. I think this is the value I can deliver. I think these are the people that are going to be excited about that. Therefore, this is what I am. Um, and if you're doing your work right, you're doing a bit of customer discovery before you even build the product. Right. So you're going out to try and test that thesis a little bit by talking to these people that you think are going to be your customers. So you're out having those conversations and testing the thesis. Now, Here's what actually happens in reality, though, is we do as good a job as we can with all that customer discovery. We build something, we get it in the hands of customers, and then it turns out parts of the thesis were correct, but parts of it were not. Yeah. And so you're then going to modify things and you're going to add things and take things away and change things. And then, you know, later down the road, when you've got something that really is resonating with customers and you can really see this pattern... Um, then you've got something where you could tighten up the positioning even more. Mm-hmm. So the advice that I give to startups where they have no customers or 
very few customers is to actually not worry too much about getting really tight on the positioning because at this stage, it's just a thesis. Yeah. And the, the analogy I use with people, which is kind of stupid, but it's the only one I got, is uh, it's a bit like this. So you woke up in the morning and you said, hey, I'm going to invent the world's greatest tuna fishing net. And yeah. so you, you, know, you, you talk to the tuna fishermen, you design this net, it's amazing. You could put it out for sale and say, hey, this is a tuna fishing net. The tuna fishermen will buy it. They'll take it to the part of the ocean where there's tuna. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Or you could say, you know what? I got a net. I think it's good for fish, big fish, probably. Yeah. Uh, and then you sell it to anybody that, that will talk to you and test it out. And you give it to a whole bunch of different kinds of fishermen. And they take it out to different parts of the ocean, toss it out. And then let's see what it picks up. Okay. <laughs> and you may pull up the net and find out, oh, you know what? Grouper. This thing works yeah. really good for okay. grouper. And then once you start seeing that pattern, then you can say, you know what? I actually built a grouper net. I'll reposition it as a grouper net. Then I'll tighten up the positioning. It's not just for any big fish. It's really good for grouper. And then I'll go be the king of grouper nets. Okay. So you, in, in, in essence, it's a good idea then to cast a wide net in the beginning to, to sort of lure in some some uh, customers and then figure out what's the, what's the best. Um, yeah, like it's good to start with a thesis and an yeah. idea of what you're going to do. I mean, otherwise you wouldn't know what to build. But right. um, but but you should also be open to the idea that you're, you're probably wrong, <laughs> or yeah. at least parts of it are wrong. Yes. And so, okay. and so you you know don't get too tight on it because. You don't want to exclude people that you never even thought of. Like, it's interesting when I, again, if I use that database example, we were just putting the thing up on the website and anybody who wants to use it can come and use it. And those people that ended up using it as an embeddable database, you know, they just were looking for a small footprint database they could put on a laptop and they ended up finding us and then we ended up tightening up our positioning around them, but we never could have planned for them. We had no idea people wanted to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 um, that's always the way it ends up seeming to happen, isn't it? You just sort of stumble into these. Well, what about the, the, the customer? Like I'm, I'm thinking right now in the SaaS world, um, there's a lot of software as a service that are, that are sort of coming out. They're like chat bots or, um, Uh you know, like some of these, uh, autoresponder softwares, you know, I mean, you go out and, and how do they differentiate from other, you know, cause if you ask that question, like what, what would your, what would you do if um, you stop using our product? Well, there's 50 other chatbots, you know, it's not so mm-hmm. difficult. How do they go out and sort of find their uh, perfect positioning in the market? Well, so this is this is where things get really interesting, right? And I think chatbots is a great example. So, you know, you didn't set out to build a chatbot that looked like everybody else's chatbot. You right. probably had an idea about how your chatbot was going to be better. And each of these chatbots, there are literally a million of them, but yeah. each of them all do something slightly different. Mm-hmm. And it's that slightly different thing that that's important Mm -hmm. but the the really important thing is knowing who cares about that slightly different thing and what is the value that that slightly different thing is going to get you so i'll give you an example i work for a company um again it was quite a while back but 
uh, and we had uh, CRM software, and that was an established market. There were tons of players in the CRM business at the time. Salesforce, this was a long time ago, Salesforce was there, but they were only selling to the low end of the market. We were selling to big enterprises, and at the time, there was a big, big company that was publicly traded called Siebel Systems, and they were $2 billion revenue and 9,000 employees. And, yeah. you know, they were enterprise CRM, and we were enterprise CRM. Like, yeah. like yeah. we basically positioned ourselves just like them. But we did have a feature that was different than them. And not only that, they couldn't copy it, but it was this ability to model relationships in a different way. And so we thought it was really cool, but um, but we never really thought about the value piece of it. So we always demoed it, and and customers would look at it, and it demoed really good. Mm-hmm. Customers would look at it and say, "Hey, that, that that's kind of cool. Like, uh, what do you, what do you do with that?" And yeah. we'd say, "Anything you want." Yeah. <laughs> like we didn't yeah. really have an answer for that. Uh-huh. But what finally happened for us is. Um, we ended up selling a deal to a big investment bank. Mm-hmm. And in the course of doing that deal, we figured out that in the sales process of a typical investment banking or someone doing private client services, this ability to model relationships in the way that we had actually really helped them in their sales process. So we ended up repositioning ourselves as CRM for investment banks with the idea that this was a sub-market of the big, big market where we could win every time because we had a feature and a value we could deliver that even the big, big publicly traded company couldn't touch us if we were an account like that. Yeah. And so for every um, product that's out there in a seemingly crowded market, you're going to have to figure out who loves your stuff and why, and how do you put a box around that sub-market and yeah. say, yeah, there's millions of chatbots in the world, man, but if you need X, Y, Z, we're the only game in town. And the trick is you got to figure out what are the criteria that makes you the only game in town, and more importantly, are there enough of those customers around for to sustain your business? So it sounds like is the best way to do that by actually going through and doing what you did uh, and calling your customers. Let's say you're we're, we're at a startup that's got 300 customers uh, uh, and um, they're like a really wide array. They, they you mm-hmm. ask them and says, "Who's your target market?" Is well, you know that's the problem. I've got right. some search guys here. Oh, everybody some, says this. You know, yes. like that. So so what do yeah. they do then if they've got? 300 customers and they're from all over the place. Do they just get on the phone and start doing like what you did literally or are there other Yeah, except if I, were to, if I were to do that little exercise again, I would have done it differently. So, okay, so and I'll tell you, you the do. faster way to do this. Okay, great. So, so the big thing is you need to understand who loves your stuff and why. So, so you have, <clears throat> I guarantee you, um, a bunch of customers And some of those customers are what I would call bad fit customers. Like they bought your stuff, but they don't, you know, they don't actually love it. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't do a bunch of key things that they wish that it did. They call Mm -hmm. your support team all the time asking for weird features that nobody else wants (laughs) and you're never going to build. And so 
sometimes when you have 300 customers, even, you know, a good chunk of those might not be awesome fit customers. Mm -hmm. And again, if I use my database one as the example, right? Like the vast majority of my customers there weren't even using the darn thing, right? right. So I could call them up all day and I'm not going to get very much useful information. What is useful is the people that picked you and loved you and you've determined they're a good fit for your business, meaning, you know, they pay you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can sustain a business around them. So generally what I do, if if you don't know this pattern already, it, which if it's B2B, a lot of times, if you talk to your salespeople and your customer success people and your product team, they know what the characteristics are. And it's not necessarily a vertical segmentation. Okay. So that, that's where our minds go. Okay, because you always want to think about that. Oh, they have to have an avatar. They're going to be, you know, male and in this sector of the market. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Like persona, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I, like personas are not super helpful okay. for nailing this down. Okay. But what you do need to understand are the characteristics of a business that makes them really appreciate your value. So okay. if you don't know that and you're struggling with that, one way to do it, is you can do a, so this is how I used to do it when I was internally. Mm-hmm. So I would do net promoter score survey. That would, yeah. that would allow me to filter out who's happy and who's not. Okay. So I've got a whole bunch of happy customers. Now, just because they're happy doesn't mean they're a great fit for my stuff. Like they might be doing something with it that, you know, no other customer on the planet is ever going to want to do. And okay. some of them are just weird. So what I would do is I would take the list of super happy people And then I would go to my sales team and say, are these all good fit customers? Now, your sales team defines good fit as intuitively understood the value, easy to sell to, didn't ask for a discount, closed really fast. That's what sales thinks good fit. So sales will go through and they'll knock off a bunch and say, no, these were actually, you know, we sold them, but they, it was work. They're bad fit. Then I do the same thing. I go to customer success. I show whatever's left over on the list and say, sales thinks these are all good fit. Are they? And success will say, oh, gosh, no, these guys are terrible. And these guys, yeah. they'll knock a few off. Then you'll get left with this sub list. And those are the people you want to call an interview. Okay. The sub so list. you want to narrow it down. Like, again, okay. haters going to hate. Like, yeah. the people that don't dig your stuff, don't dig your stuff for a thousand and one reasons. Yeah. But the people that love you, that's a rare event. Like, think of how crowded the market is that you operate in. People have choices. They can buy anything out there. So you're trying to figure out what is it that made these weirdos pick you? Like, this is a miraculous event. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's right. If I can narrow down. Especially for chatbots, you know. Right. Well, for every market, honestly, every market looks like this. So if I can narrow it down and just hone in on these people and then go in and say, okay, what were you doing before? Like you had this problem before. Mm-hmm. What, how did you solve this problem before we showed up? And they'll tell you, that's a com- competitor you're going to have to beat. And then you say, okay, well, what made what happened to make you think that you needed to start doing this in a different way? That's the trigger thing that happens. And then yeah. they'll, they'll tell you what that is. And then you say, okay, so how did you make a short list of alternative solutions when you did decide you wanted to do something different? That's going to help your marketing team figure out where you should go market because you're finding out how people find out about new solutions. And then you say, okay, so you made a short list. Who was on it? You need to beat all those people too. And then you 
Yes, for some darn reason. Why was it? Yes. Okay. But that, at least you've got it down now. You're not having to call, like, you know, send out no, a survey. I, if I had done it at my database company, I would have yeah. only had to make six calls. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a, a lot easier. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's a good point. So it sounds like the net promoter score software is uh, something that would be really useful. Just well, you know, the net promoter, net promoter is, um, you know, People love it and they hate it. But yeah. what I do like about Net Promoter is, you know, it's a bit of a blunt instrument. Yeah. And I don't think you can read a lot of stuff into it. And on its own, I wouldn't rely on NPS on its own. But for something like this where, Whittling look, I got, I got tons and tons of customers yeah. and I just want to skim off the cream. Yeah. It's an easy thing. It's one, you know, you, get, you tend to get pretty high response rates because it's one question. It's really yeah. easy to administer. And it's a really quick, dirty way to separate out who loves you and who doesn't. Yeah. But then you got to do a little extra to make sure that, you know, just because they say they'll refer you doesn't mean they're a good fit customer. You got to dig a little bit deeper than that. Yeah. Get a few more out and then do those interviews. And I guarantee you'll see way more of a pattern than you would if you just tried to do what I was doing and, you know, let's do a hundred calls on anybody randomly. Okay. And so you don't think it's, would you go outside of the market and try and do your surveys that way as well? Like, you know, trying to, if I was, if I was trying to get into a new market, maybe, but if I was, if I was a startup or a smaller company, Mm -hmm. the first thing I'd be trying to do is like, look, uh, you know, if I've got happy customers right now, Mm-hmm. But why wouldn't I just go out and try to get more of those that look yeah. just like that? That's my low hanging fruit. That's yeah, my that's easiest true. people to get. I already know I can go get those. Yeah. People. Okay. So I would want to go get those until I ran out of those. And then yeah. I would start worrying about, okay, now I got to go beyond those where, you okay. know, what's adjacent. So start within first before you go yeah. outside. Yeah, max out, max yeah. out whatever you're successful right now. And again, think about it. Our yeah. markets are so crowded. Like it's amazing we sell anything. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's right. Well, you well, really have to drill selling. it down, right? You have to drill it down. You, well, this is it. So if you're selling anything, you you should treat it like the miracle it is. Like yeah. it's miraculous. We sold twenty people. That's miraculous. Yeah, How do yeah. we find fifty more that look like that? A hundred yeah. more that look like that? Yeah. And at any given time, I think you need to stay focused on your immediate sales goals. Like the, the question isn't, how do I get 10,000 more like that? If your sales goal for this year is 20 deals, mm-hmm. then, you know, just focus on where can I get those 20 deals the easiest? Yeah. And then the next year, your goal will be 100 deals. And you're like, okay, well, where do I get 100 deals the easiest? And mm-hmm. People get way out ahead of themselves and they're like, oh my God, we need to sell it to everybody. And it's like, yes, you do, but not this year, man. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, tell me about, you know, when I look, think of this exercise, it seems like um, copywriting is like having a really good copywriter that knows how to use the words. Describe the importance of, of, uh, of copywriting in the, in the whole positioning process as well. Well, copywriting is super, super important, but it doesn't come until after. Okay. Like, this is a key thing that people have to understand. Like, there's a lot of stuff that we do in marketing, including messaging, copywriting, figuring out a tagline, um, figuring out our branding, and a lot of other stuff. And all of that comes after positioning. Positioning is the critical input. Okay. 
So if you hire a copywriter, the first thing they're going to say is, well, who's this copy for? Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, and what are the key things you need to highlight about your product and who do you compete against? Because that matters. And all you need to have your hands firmly around who's my competition? How am I different? What's the value? Who's my target customer? Before you start sicking the copywriters on it, because okay. you need to have that first and it's an input to messaging. And then once everyone's clear, okay, this is who we're going after, this is how we win, then you can get the copywriters involved to write copy that makes that sing. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's not really part of your positioning process then at all, the copywriting, because to no, me it comes, it's like... No, it comes after. Yeah. So a, a lot of the work I do in the... So I do a lot of workshops one-on-one -on -one with companies where mm -hmm. we work through this positioning stuff and then in the workshop, we'll take the positioning and we will translate it into what I would call a sales narrative, mm -hmm. which is how would I, if this is the positioning, how would I pitch this to a mm -hmm. prospect that doesn't yeah. know too much about my stuff? And we don't actually build like messaging. We don't build PowerPoint slides, but we do have kind of a storyboard that the company can then take and turn into... Um, a sales pitch deck, which they can then take out and test it with prospects and see if it works. Mm -hmm. And so I usually recommend that the companies go do that. They try it out on a bunch of prospects that usually what happens there is they just need to tune a few things. Once they've got a pitch that they feel good about, then you can say, okay, now we're ready to write messaging Okay. Um, and have your marketing team work on a messaging document or, you know, whatever messaging you need. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what are some of the most common mistakes that you, um, that you find that your clients are making before they come to you? Like what are some of the common misperceptions of, and why yeah. they have found themselves in, in, in such a struggle of trying to find the position in the market? Yeah, there's a couple of common ones. So um, a good percentage of the companies that come to me, their positioning is weak because they're, the, the competitive landscape has shifted and they are not clear on who their real competitive alternative is. Therefore, their positioning downstream is weak. So they're highlighting the wrong value because they're comparing themselves in their minds to the wrong competitor. So I get a lot of um, companies come to me and I'll, I'll say, so who do you compete with? And they'll say, oh, and they'll list all these little startups that nobody's ever heard of. Like they're mm -hmm. doing really cool, innovative stuff, but they're tiny little companies. Yeah. Um, and they'll say things like, I'll say, well, how are you different than them? And they'll say, well, it's, it's user experience, ease of use, you know, in those products, you have to do 15 clicks to do this thing on ours. You just do two. So this is way more efficient. But then when you get into this conversation of like, what are clients doing right now? And what are you displacing? Like, do you actually get in a competitive deal with any of those little companies? Often the startup will say, well, no. And I'll say, well, you know, what, is, what would your customer do if you didn't exist? And they'd say, well, they'd probably just do it in Excel or hire an intern to do it. Now you can imagine you're out there saying your big differentiator is ease of use, but if your real competitor is an intern, <laughs> yeah. you're never going to win ease of use versus the intern. The intern is super easy to use. Like, yeah, hey, yeah, that's right. Like, hey, go fill out the spreadsheet. Um, but you know, but the intern's bad at a lot of things. Like the intern makes mistakes. The intern yeah. puts on. 
the intern can't save a customer profile and know all this stuff the next time they have to interact with a customer. Like there's a lot of things your software can do that the intern can't. But if you don't understand that the intern is your competitor, your value proposition is going to be way off. So that's the biggest mistake I see. The mistake number one, the second mistake I see with startups in particular is that they confuse their positioning for investors with their positioning for customers. Oh, I see. Because they're two so different pitches, obviously. Really different yeah. pitches usually. Yeah. So what I'll get often is I'll get a company come to me and they'll be like, oh, yeah, we were selling really good, and but then we just raised a round. And I don't know, there's just something not working in our pitch now. And you'll, you'll get it and you'll be like, ah, oh, that's because your investor stuff is kind of creeped into your yeah. customer stuff. And they're really yeah. different audiences. Like the investors care about, why you're a good investment, meaning Mm. tell me how you're going to be a hundred million revenue in seven to 10 years Mm -hmm. and, and talk to me about the far future and how are you going to get there? And what, you know, that's what's going to make you a good investment where a customer is concerned with, look, I'm going to give you my cold, hard cash right now for something that you can do for me right now. And I don't really care about what you're doing in 10 years. I mean, I'd like you to be around in 10 years. But beyond that, I don't want you to tell me about all the fun stuff that's coming five years from now. I'm not paying you for that. I'm paying you for what you can do right now. Yeah, yeah. So often the investor pitch is very visionary and you're talking about kind of the way the world is going to look in the future. Whereas the customer pitch is very practical right now. Here's the value I can do, you know, versus the intern right now. Mm-hmm. And so those are the two main, those are the two main uh, problems I see. Okay. Okay. That's, that's very helpful. Um, how about, um, is there anyone that helps you with your stuff? I mean, how, when you're going out, is, is there like uh-huh. any advisors that you use to help refine your pitch or is it all you sort of figuring this out? by yourself? I mean, where do you go to, to get help? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. You know, I think this one I've kind of figured out on my own. It took me a while. Like, I will say the the transition going from being in-house to being a consultant mm-hmm. took me a while to figure out because, um, you know, it's a real mind shift uh, why someone should hire you as an employee versus yeah. why someone should hire you as a specialist or yeah. a consultant. And so, you know, at the beginning, I was doing all kinds of work. Like, I thought I was quite focused, but I wasn't really. And so it was hard for people to figure out, well, why should I hire you instead of the 9 million other consultants that are out there? And so it took me a little while to get really honed in on, nope, I'm just going to do this positioning stuff because I'm good at it. And there's not a lot of other people that know how to do it. Plus, it's a thing that people need. Um, and then once I got that figured out, it took me a while to figure out what the offerings would look like. Like, how do you actually sell that as a consulting engagement? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I started out trying to sell the exact process that I would do if I was the vice president of marketing. And then it was clear that that was one, overkill, um, two, too expensive for customers to buy. And so that got me really honed in on, is there a way that I can workshop this with the company, which is, which is the best way to do it because they know the stuff, mm-hmm. the product and the market much more deeply than I ever would unless I went and worked there for five years. Yeah. So how can I do a workshop where I'm essentially pulling it out of these people 
rather than doing the positioning for them. Okay. Um, and that's kind of where I ended up. And that works. I've done maybe a hundred or so of these workshops now. And if you meet my qualifications and I have to qualify you, but if you meet my qualifications, um, we can definitely get some good work done in a very short time through a workshop. Okay. And usually it's, it's a, a, a member of like a bunch of departments or maybe um, department heads or a department in particular, like the market. Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the exec team really like um, uh, okay. generally it's the, generally it's the CEO that hires me. Um, but sometimes I get brought in by the head of product or the head of marketing, but in the room we need, we need representation from sales marketing okay. product customer success yeah and then anybody else that you think is important but um in these workshops we usually have at least five six people in the room and it's usually the functional heads of okay. uh of the the various groups and that's critical because sales knows something about the customer journey that's very different than what customer success knows about the customer journey yeah. and product often knows something about the customer journey that's very different from sales as well. So it's important to have that. And then it's good to have development in the room because they keep us all honest on what this thing can actually do versus not do. Yeah. Um, so, and then often you have a founder who, um, sometimes what you've got is the founders very involved in sales deals. And so mm. they've got um, a longer history in doing deals maybe than the head of sales um, and might have more detailed information. Sometimes what you've got is a founder that used to be really involved in deals. The company's gotten bigger and they're not as much anymore. And so it's important that the founder is in the room to understand that, Hey, maybe, maybe, things have changed out in the field from when the founder was in the field every single day doing every single deal. Um, so it's interesting to see the dynamics, but you need everybody in the room. Like one of the big things we get out of one of these positioning workshops is alignment, which is often very hard to get even yeah. in a small startup where all the groups are all aligned on. Yes, we all agree. This is our competitor. This is why we're better and different. This is where okay. we win. Yeah, I'm sure you have some interesting uh, uh, boardroom discussions with that, you know, sort of figuring out, well, I never even thought of them as a, co uh, as a competitor. Well, it's surprising that the disagreements you'll get, even in a small company where, you know, again, it's like that old analogy where, you know, everybody's blind and they're touching a piece of the elephant and the elephant seems really different yeah, <laughs> depending that's, on yeah. which part you've got. Yeah. You'll get that even in a yeah. small company where, Customer success sees, sees one thing, but sales sees something very different. Um, and, you know, and the, and the founder, depending on where they sit, might see one piece of it, but not all of it. Yeah. Okay. That's very good. Um, April, we're coming up to the top of the hour. I want to thank you very much for, for your, your time. Um, how can people find out more about you, uh, reach out to you? Uh, I see that you're pretty active on Twitter. Um, yeah, Twitter's the only social place I'm active these days because I just can't handle too many social channels at once. But yeah, smart. I'm at yeah. April Dunford on Twitter. Um, okay. My website is aprildunford.com. Like if you're interested in positioning, I wrote a book last year um, yeah. called Obviously Awesome, which gets into the gory detail of this methodology. And so if you want to do the deep dive on that, uh, that's where you want to go. 
well worth the fifteen dollars or whatever it is for that it's, book. You I, know what? I've it's read seven it too, bucks, and I can attest it's very good. Oh, is it seven? seven okay, yeah, seven bucks go. if it's so, an ebook. Ebook yeah. is seven bucks, and if you got Audible credits, it's free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's no excuse to not there's be no become really know as much about this as you do. Although it's pretty <laughs> exactly. hard to remember it all. I must say, I had to refresh my uh, memory on your. Um, some of your methodologies myself before the show. So thank you so much for your time, April. It's been a pleasure. Okay, well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software Big Break could be right around the corner. <laughs>